Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Sharp lessons, everybody. We are Stadium Sports Betting Podcast. Ben Wittenstein with you. We've got Michael Rizzo and we've got the Professor Nate Jacobson. Guys, how you doing? This is our once a week episode now. We're kind of getting in the heat of August, the dog days of summer. No NBA left, but we're still a month away from college football, NFL, but we're still somehow finding things to bet on, which is kind of nice. Yeah, we have a huge uh, tent pole betting event, or I guess it's a huge tent pole sporting event tomorrow night with the NBA draft, but it's turned into quite the the betting event as all drafts, whether it's the NFL or the NBA, have become. I think you could find a lot of clues if you read the betting market, and even if you're not a better and you kind of want to know how the draft plays out and maybe make your own mock draft for fun, uh, you could look at some of the betting stuff and we're going to help people out with that today and today's show and kind of do a mock draft based on some of what the betting market is telling us as we head into the draft about 33 hours away I believe so uh, kind of coming up there could be line moves between now and then but we'll try to get people on the right track yeah I think that uh, the draft as a whole when it comes to sports gambling, it's a very good way to get more people excited about it because in years past, you may not necessarily, especially if your team isn't in the lottery or however their season may have shook out, you may not necessarily care about the first 10 picks of the draft or, or how it shakes out. But now you can bet on a guy to go in the lottery. You could bet on a guy to go top three. You could bet on his over-under. You could bet on him versus another player. It, it gives you all these reasons to watch, which which makes it more fun. And the draft itself is a bit of a tough watch because, you know, you're waiting about five, six minutes in between picks when you're like, even though it tells you the pick is in, but they don't want to <laughs> announce it. But uh, all in all, it, it's it could be a, a fun experience if you, if you just lay a little bit of cash down and and follow a couple picks here and there. Now, we do have to plug Stadium's NBA draft show. And our boy Shams may be giving out those breaking news picks early on if you're getting a little antsy about seeing them on TV. So you can see Shams. You can see uh, we've got Jeff Goodman, who we will also be having on the podcast. He's going to be on the stadium uh, NBA draft show. We've got Cameron Smith. Lots of fun guys on there. So tune into that. That'll be uh, Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And before we get into strategies for NBA draft, I believe we have a cover of the week with the Chicago Cubs and the over under. Nate, you were at that game. Yeah. Doing a, a little bit of participating in the beer snake, I think. Uh, I mean, I had a few beers. I wasn't holding up the the cup snake that Cubs fans have kind of embraced over the last <laughs> few seasons. And even though I don't bet on baseball or talk about it too much on the podcast, I still, you know, like going to occasional game. And I made my way to Wrigley Field last night, say on the bleachers. Uh, early start for the game, two both teams scored two runs in the first. And then there was kind of uh, not a lot of runs. The Reds put on three runs in 
one run in different innings. And then the Cubs also had some chances to to maybe cut into the lead uh, in the seventh and eighth inning, but couldn't get the job done. So going the ninth inning, I look at my phone just as a curiosity what the over-under was, and it was 10 and a half. And the score was five to two. The Reds score two runs on base hits. And now it's seven to two. The Cubs, I believe, led off the inning with a home run, or maybe it was one out. And then I almost started started thinking, like, wow, this, you know, imagine if you had the over, you were feeling really good when it was two to two, and then there's barely any runs the rest of the game. And then Chris Bryant with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. And maybe his last, one of his last at bats at Wrigley Field as a member of the Cubs, Ooh. hit a home run to left field. And I immediately text you guys, like cover of the week, over in the Cubs Reds. And Rizzo, our guy, sends a screenshot having the under 10.5 in <laughs> Cubs Reds. So the cover of the week for some, but the, the worst of possibly the, not the worst of beats, but a, a tough beat for for our th- co-host, Michael Rizzo. Yeah. Yeah, tough beat indeed. Uh, it was one of those games. I've kind of been targeting Wrigley unders of late. Not necessarily Wrigley, I should say, but Cubs unders with uh, you know, guys like Zach Davies pitching well. And and I actually do really like Adbert Alzali. And uh, Gutierrez on the Reds has been better than people think, too, just because it's a name you've never heard of. But he actually hasn't been horrible this season. So I saw the 10.5. I liked it. I uh, thought it was a good bet. Um, unfortunately, uh, the, the ninth inning came and as Nate said, two runs in the top half, two runs in the bottom half, there goes your under. And it's funny because actually the night before I had the reds and they were winning, I believe it was five to four going into the seventh and then it was five to five. No, sorry. Five. To, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were up five, by three, maybe. Yeah. Five, three, give up a run in the seventh give up a run in the eighth. Now we're tied. And then Javi, <laughs> the walk-off that everyone has seen. So it, as a Sox fan, I always find it funny when like the Cubs find these little ways to, to cost me money. And it's like, well, stop betting against them or stop taking totals in their games. But yeah, unfortunately, that's how it goes sometimes. As Nate said, that is definitely a cover of the week. We like to make things positive. So congrats to all over better <laughs> in Reds Cubs. And the wind wasn't too crazy last night. Usually with Wrigley, you can kind of determine if you're betting over or under whether the total's high or low based on the wind. Because when it blows in, it's really hard to get the ball out. But last night, even though there wasn't wind, it was very hot and humid. So hot and humid that you could drink it old style and it actually tasted good, which is (laughs) something that is uncommon. Not the best beer, except if it's 90 degrees and humid, which it was last night. So I was able to enjoy that. Uh, But unfortunately, the... That human weather probably contributed to some balls leaving the leaving the park and the game going over, even though going into the ninth inning, there was probably a 97, 98 percent chance that it would stay under the total. I love how it's only a good beer in just a very specific window of weather. And that's about yeah. it. Yep. All right. So let's get into some NBA draft betting, uh, because that is happening Thursday night. Lots of things to talk about with this, and it seems to me, at least reading mock drafts and talking with Jeff, which we'll have that interview later on, and and hearing people talk about this, it seems like it's a very top-heavy draft. And it seems like at this point, the top four, for the most part, barring any trades, are pretty much set in terms of what people expect and who they expect to go top four. But other than that, 
it can really go so many different ways after that. Um, and so just thinking about betting strategies for the draft, if you've never bet the draft before, if you've done it a couple times and didn't do well, need some new strategies, this is the place to listen for that because we have a ton of different ways to be able to bet this draft. And Nate, for you, what, what are some tips, some strategies that you like to use when you're looking at a draft and specifically NBA draft as well? Well, one strategy I have and not going to be able to do it this year because the strategy is to bet early or at least start your research early, kind of know the mock drafts and know the players being considered. And then you can kind of learn about players if they're rising up mock drafts or getting lowered, what kind of reasons there is and if that's going to actually happen on the draft. So maybe not this year because the early window is gone. The props, we talked about the props, I believe, on our show, which was like July 1st, when they've kind of first trickled out right after the NBA draft lottery. But looking at stuff early, and this could definitely apply next year uh, if you do NFL draft stuff, definitely look at stuff around the combine uh, and kind of just get to know the players and know the positions and, and what kind of teams might need, especially in the early rounds. Uh, other things, kind of just following information, uh, the unique part about the draft is you can make very strong bets if you follow the right people and get in at very good numbers that are so good that it's juiced very heavily where you can, if you want, take some plus money back to, to create a guaranteed profit. Or it's so good that they'll take the bet off the board because it's such a, a almost a guarantee. So follow the information you trust. And, and that kind of lends into the third point, bet what you think will happen and not what you would do. So we all watch a lot of players in college basketball. We might have opinions <laughs> on them based on how they played in March Madness. But that doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, put your NBA um, scout hat or maybe take off like your scout hat and try to think what the NBA teams would do, what they might be thinking. Same thing in the NFL. I know there was a lot of bias between some of the quarterbacks this year and, and people thinking, um, like players like Matt Jones wasn't as good as some other guys and uh, ended up he ended up being the fifth quarterback selected but there was a time where he was strong steam at him to be the third overall pick so take off your bias think of what the team will do and make bets on that don't bet on what you would do based on what you think of a certain player uh, I think that's smart. And, and I think another thing I would add on to that is if you have friends who are big fans of, of some NBA teams, talk to them about what they've been reading, what they've been hearing, because it's almost guaranteed if you're not like a huge fan of that team, you haven't been absorbing the content that they have from, you know, specific blog posts or specific writers that they may follow. I have a couple of fans who are or a couple of friends who are Pacers fans and they give really good information that I probably haven't had time to read about who they think the Pacers are going to draft. So if if you can try to think like the NBA team, the best the best way to do that is talk to fans of that team. If you have friends who are big fans, they're going to know a lot more than you would ever find out, probably just skimming an article or reading something like that. And that's that's I think is a really good way to do it, too. Yeah, I think a um, <clears throat> bit of advice that I have. Number one is if you're able to be tuned in, which is very important for an event like this, not not I shouldn't say tuned in like watching, but tuned in in the weeks before. Uh, look at your your books, your outs, whatever it may be, and follow the line movement, right? Be be ready to jump on slow adjustments. If 
you notice that FanDuel and DraftKings have both moved a player prop under, and PointsBet hasn't necessarily given that same respect yet. Maybe you're finding some value. So so do your line shopping. Don't be afraid to follow the line movement. And and I should say, don't be afraid to to lay a big number when it comes to drafting. Obviously, you're betting within your means, but if a player is basically all but guaranteed, Woj has already tweeted that he is going at number one. If, you know, all things, this player is going number one, and you see that that's still on the board at a minus 1,200, if you want to put money down and get it back that night. It's it's not the worst option. Uh, the last thing I will say is when you see this line movement happening, a player is under nine and a half and now it's dropping to eight and a half and now it's dropping to seven and a half and you've missed what you think is the best option to bet that player, look to attack it in other markets. Instead of betting him under seven and a half, see if him versus another player hasn't changed yet. And now you want to target that player. Just little things where the market might not be completely up to speed and you could take advantage of those line movements in different ways by finding value in other markets. That's Those are the two things I usually try to do when I am betting on the NBA or the NFL draft. Yeah, so right now we have the Pistons picking first and Cade Cunningham is the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick. I think he's, you know... 80 to one or something like that, or minus 8,000, I should say uh, for not, not 81 (laughs) minus minus 8,000 for that. So he's pretty set to to be that number one overall pick barring any trades or anything like that. And I know the last time we talked, Evan Mobley was seemingly the favorite for number two. He's moved back to number three, Jalen green, replacing him at number two. Uh, Jalen Suggs seems like he's pretty set at number four for the Raptors. So outside of that, we really don't, know for sure the fifth sixth seventh and and onwards scotty barnes it seems like a lot of people have in the mock drafts is number five um but other than that you could see like different people at six seven and eight in three or four different mock drafts yeah i think that's kind of the the top five at least the consensus based on the odds maybe there's a chance that i think the top three is kind of locked in and cunningham's green and mobley maybe a, a outside chance that Barnes jumps ahead of Suggs, uh, just some stuff I read this morning. But just for odds sake and like our exercise, I think we're trying to do a little bit of a mock draft right now. I'd say Jalen Suggs fourth to the Raptors, Scotty Barnes fifth. He's minus 220 as of now to go fifth overall to the Magic. Uh, just this weekend, they were basically uh, minus 105 each way to be the fifth pick with Jonathan Kaminga. So uh, looks like Barnes has pulled ahead, a lot of steam there. And then it gets to the sixth and seventh pick, and it kind of looks like it'll be two different guys, and it just depends on the order. Jonathan Gaminga, who's over under draft position, is six and a half with a little bit of juice on the over. And then James Booknight, the UConn scorer, has really risen up draft boards. He's a intriguing prospect for a lot of teams, and he might end up going six. His over-under draft position is seven and a half with heavy juice on the under over $2. So I think for the exercise, I would say book night to the Thunder at six and Kaminga just as a like maybe a not a placeholder, but kind of a, by default to the Warriors at seven, especially if there's a chance the Warriors do trade that pick looking for a player who can contribute right away instead of a prospect who was playing in the G League last year. Yeah, that seems to be the problem, too, with 
this draft, especially since it's top heavy. I think there's a lot of NBA teams who are thinking of either getting future draft picks and moving down in the draft because it's so top heavy. So we may see Golden State, another team that's been rumored to to wanting to trade either up in the draft or just trade out and, and get future picks. And you also have the Magic who have two top 10 picks. So they could really screw all, all the mock drafts up because they may take a guy earlier on that they know they're going to have and know that they're going to have it at the A spot too. So they may do a weird thing with the draft. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder at six loves to keep everything they do really secret. So it's tough to know what OKC is going to do. And they have had success in the draft in the past. So I think you put all of that together and all of the picks after five at this point to me are a crapshoot. Like you, you really don't know. And I know it seems, you know, Scotty Barnes, most people have him at five and then you have, you could have book Knight or Kaminga at six, but with Oklahoma city Thunder, you just don't know is the problem. Yeah. I would a little bit disagree. Maybe these mock drafts are completely wrong, but it does seem like there's a top seven that is set between Cunningham, Green, Mobley, Suggs, Barnes, Booknight, Kaminga. Maybe not in that order exactly, but that kind of seems just based on draft positions like the top seven. Uh, Looking ahead, that's where it might get a little bit crazy, especially the Magic second pick. Uh, I've seen a lot of mock drafts with Moses Moody from Arkansas as that eighth pick. His over-under draft position is 11.5. You do have to lay minus 140 to go under that. But you're getting 8, 9, 10, 11. So you're getting four opportunities for him to go somewhere. And maybe a team even higher like just falls in love with him, whether it's the Thunder or the Warriors, and, and takes a shot at him knowing that he might not get past uh, past. They don't want him to drop to 8. So I think Moses Moody at 8 would be where I would go at least uh, as of this Wednesday morning record, if things could definitely change if you're listening to this the day of the draft. But uh, Moses Moody for me, and then at nine, a lot of um, love for Franz Wagner, the Michigan guy, uh, brother of Mo Wagner, who was a, another star at Michigan. And him to the Kings makes a lot of sense, and I've seen that as a common mock. Uh, and Wagner, his over-under draft position is nine and a half with juiced to the under minus 160 means they think he'll go uh, top nine. So that would be his last position. Uh, the Kings, uh, maybe he goes to the Magic too, but I th- I think locking in Wagner at, at nine is, is where I would go in a mock draft uh, situation. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then at 10, you have Memphis. But, yeah, how about the Grizzlies making that trade? Yeah. And then right after the trade... Uh, a big line mover was Josh Giddy, an Australian player. Basically, they said the Grizzlies moved up in the draft to pick him. I guess there's a chance he could go even earlier than that, but Giddy is 10.5 minus 200, minus 200 to go in the top 10. So uh, just for the mock draft, I would say 8 Moses Moody, 9 Franz Wagner, and 10... Josh Giddy, who I just mentioned, who the Grizzlies made a trade with to get up to that pick. Uh, they traded Valchunas, uh, took on the Bledsoe salary. Uh, so they must really like this guy. Hopefully for they, their sake, they get him because there's also a chance he can go early based on some of the draft momentum. So the thing that I was seeing about Memphis, and if you, this is, again, this is not a sure thing. I would say this is a very long shot thing to happen, but there are, talks and I have read things about the Grizzlies possibly still trying to move up in the draft. 
So if that continues to make waves and maybe more noise comes out of them trying to move up and trade out of that 10th pick, you may want to throw a little bit on Giddy over 10 and a half, because if, if Giddy's really the only one that is being looked at by the Grizzlies and they move away from that, you get him at plus 155 to go over 10 and a half. It's not the worst move. Yeah. I, I, it sounds like though, just based on the line move that he's, a slam dunk top 10 pick, whether it is the Grizzlies at 10 or, I mean, do you think the Grizzlies, did you mean they would move up or they'd move back? They would move. They would be trying to move deeper into the top 10. Yeah. So if they, if they move deeper, then they'd go under 10 and a half. I think it's the only way you could look for Giddy just because it'd be within the first 10 picks. Um, I mean, he's kind but of. But they could be trying to get someone name. else other than Giddy. I guess would be my would be my point. That's true. I just if you read the information, I, I it looks pretty certain that Giddy would be the pick if he's available. Um, and if they do move up, it probably would be for him. So uh, that's a guy who's probably at this point moved too much. I don't know if I'd lay minus two hundred, but who knows? By tomorrow, it could be like minus three fifty, minus four hundred, and kind of be a certainty that he goes in the top ten. Um. Is there any thoughts that you guys have on 11 through 14? I wrote some options down for us. There's Davion Mitchell, who's kind of fallen. He was a top 10 pick going into last week, at least in the odds, and he's dropped to 12 and a half in his uh, player prop. Uh, there's a European player, Alperin Sagoon, who has moved up to 12 and a half. Um, maybe he's, a, he's an option for a team. I know we talked on the original podcast, like, four weeks ago about Corey Kispert. He's 14 and a half. So kind of that fringe lottery selection. And then a player who has really gone up draft boards. Uh, when I was doing some research early last week, he was at 20 and a half or 19 and a half. Chris Duarte, who maybe Rizzo knows more about him because he was a 24 year old college player. Uh, he's up to 15 and a half. And it sounds like the Warriors with their second pick is not going to let him let Duarte go past that at least from stuff some stuff i've read so uh maybe the 15 and a half is a little bit late but duarte uh sounds like a lot of teams are interested and and i wouldn't be surprised if there's even a trade-up situation for him yeah duarte he was a uh a pretty a very good player for oregon uh, a team that i actually followed a lot last year i had a couple futures on them i, I really thought if they got healthy and their talent clicked, that they were a top 10 team in the country. And, and they might have been. They lost to a tough USC team, but they did knock out a good Iowa team. Uh, Duarte, the, the, the thing that I had seen on him was to start this these draft props, if you will, uh, him and Trey Mann were about minus 110 each for who would get picked first. And two weeks ago, Duarte moved to like minus 140. And last week he was up to like minus 180. And when I looked a couple days ago, he was all the way up to minus 225 to get selected before Trey Mann. And I went back and looked before uh, we started recording today and I didn't even see the prop on the board anymore. So that kind of that goes to show you how things change. Right. We, we've seen, as Nate said, Duarte climbing up boards, climbing up boards. And I guess. Trey Mann hasn't had the same uh, stock increase, if you will. And that was a prop that if you got on early, I did not, unfortunately, uh, you'd be feeling pretty good right now. But but that, yeah, that's just an example of the things to follow uh, leading up to a draft. And, and I do like Chris Duarte, whether he goes in the top 15, I'm not really sure. Sounds like Nate said the, the Warriors are, are pretty locked in on him if he makes it to them. So uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that's just my thought process on things. Yeah, and also the Wizards are at 15, uh, so that could be a, another spot for him. So I think that's why we're seeing 15 and a half is the kind of the consensus number as of now. Yeah, I, I think Davion Mitchell too is one of the more interesting players for this, and and you talked about it as he's he's slipped a bit in the past couple of weeks or so. Um, and, uh, you know, if we were talking about this in the first week of April, we would say, oh, he's probably a top 10 pick, but yeah. obviously perception on him has, has moved a bit and, you know, people have him going to the Pacers at 13. I've seen people ha- taking him are going 14 to the Warriors. Um, and right now I think he sits at 12 and a half. Um, and that over 12 and a half looks pretty interesting. And now I don't know if I see a team like the Spurs really going after him, I don't know if the Hornets really go after him. I think the Hornets are going to be looking more for a pure shooter type of player. So what that the Hornets over, want to do. <laughs> yeah, they they are definitely one of the more wild card teams in this draft for sure. Um, so I I think that twelve and a half I would lean over for him. Um, and if we're putting him anywhere, I, it would put him in that you know the Pacers thirteen, Warriors fourteen type of range. Yeah, definitely. And and I was just mentioning the Hornets, kind of unpredictable. I've seen a few mocks with Kai Jones, who's a Texas big man. Yeah. His draft prop is 15 and a half, but minus 170 to the under. So that kind of indicates he's going to go a favorite to go within the first 15 picks. Since there's a little bit of uncertainty with what the Hornets want to do, um, that could be a potential landing spot for him. Um I think just for mock draft purposes, at least what I wrote down, I would have Kai Jones 11th, Alperin Sagoon 12th to the Spurs, just following the Spurs getting a European narrative. Uh, as as Ben mentioned, Davion Mitchell to the Pacers makes a lot of sense. A guy who can contribute right away to a roster that is actually decent. They were just banged up last year and had a mutiny against their coach. And, and that would lead to Chris Duarte to the Warriors. So, Uh, Probably going to be a lot of groupthink on this mock draft, but just based on the odds, that's what it looks like. So if you think something different or hear something different, there's definitely opportunities to take advantage uh, because one trade could really change the whole uh, cause a ripple effect and a domino effect on how the draft plays out tomorrow night. Yeah, absolutely. And and as Rizzo said, jump on those fast because – they may not move as fast as, you know, a line movement may with injury news or or players being out news. So, you know, you hear about something real early on, jump on that on your sports book as quickly as possible. That line may not have moved yet. And that may be a good way to to jump on something like that. Um, so are we comfortable with kind of the mock betting draft at this point? Is there any players you felt may have been left off or I like the Moses yeah. Moody under 11 and a half. Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah, I think that's going to get more expensive as we get closer to. I mean, maybe by the time you're listening to it, it's going to be too expensive. But I think minus 140 is is a a, a decent number to stomach uh, for a player that could go as high as eight. And maybe someone trades up for him just because of he fits the profile of the three and D guy that a lot of NBA teams want. But he's only 19 years old. So there's a there's a bit of a ceiling for him, but also a safe floor. What do we have on uh, Cam Thomas from LSU? Do you guys see anything about him or uh, an over-under or anything like that? Yeah, I did see a few things this week and some differing opinions on him. Um, I'm just going to quickly look, and I'm seeing 22 and a half is his number. 
That was a player that really impressed me. I mean, as you guys said, I wouldn't bet on it because this is a player that I like, not anything that I've heard from NBA scouts. But he was just his his shot making and his skill set and his the the way he was hitting tough shots in that turn in March Madness. Really, I, I liked him. So I think that that could be a good late first round pick for somebody. And I know people around here, Io DeSumo, 26 and a half. The uh, the over is favored in that one. And I kind of agree. I, I think he goes a little bit later than 26 and a half, like really towards the tail end of that first round. But it's sitting at 26 and a half right now. Yeah, I kind of interest in the under just because I believe it's the Nuggets who pick 26. And I can see that being a spot for him or potentially another team in the 20s trying to take a player because at that point in the draft you're taking players that can contribute right away so if you believe in his kind of ability that he had in college he can he's more of a player that you can probably plug in into a rotation right away and not the uh the project that a lot of players that kind of go early in the draft uh, tend to go to, to teams that are looking to develop and rebuild the right way as opposed to you know be in the playoff hunt right away which some teams might target io all right so we talked to stadium college basketball insider jeff goodman all about the nba draft and about where he thinks some players may end up so here's that interview now all right so we want to welcome in stadiums college basketball insider jeff goodman to the podcast jeff appreciate you joining us i'm sure it's uh, it's been a hectic week for you yeah it's uh it's weird going from watching uh, high school kids over the weekend at the peach jam and uh now you know talking to monty bates you know that i sat down with monty bates for a while i'm gonna write something on him this week and uh he'll probably be a top two pick uh not in next year's draft but the following and, and now talking about this year's draft and kk cunningham who i saw probably three years ago for the first time at the peach jam and fell in love with him i mean absolutely just fell in love with everything he's about like the biggest thing with Cade the first time I saw him was it was just all about like making people better and winning and every intangible. That's that's why I loved him. And he's come a long way. I mean, listen, he really was not a shooter and he would be the first one to say before last year, you know, we went through strengths and weaknesses and his list was longer on the weakness end, which was kind of cool to hear. Most kids are like they talk about their strengths. He He's so self-aware and confident that. He went through all the weaknesses, you know, perimeter shooting and taking care of the ball and this and that. And uh, but he shot 40 percent for three last year. So that was uh, that was impressive. So he seems to you to be kind of that worthy number one pick type of player. hundred percent, hundred percent in every way. I mean, I, I think he's got a lot of Luka in him. I really do. I mean, their size, their ability to make people better. Neither are great athletes, neither are great shooters, but make enough. You know, the difference is the two biggest difference. Luke is a, a, a much better offensive player in terms of score, you know, with his footwork, with his ability to create separation. Just, you know, he's just got that knack for scoring. Cade's a much better defender. So, uh, I, I, again, I just think their their size and athleticism or lack there of being a, an elite athlete and making people better uh, are, are really the similarities with those guys. So you had your final mock draft come out on WatchStadium.com. Um, any big movements for the for the final draft? Any uh, tough decisions that that you had to make for that? I mean, honestly, like one to four, 
was pretty easy for me. And one to five have kind of stayed the same just because I, I thought I had them from pretty much the, the day the lottery uh, occurred. You know, Cade being one, Houston liking Jalen Green at two. And then Cleveland had a dilemma, and I think we'll have a dilemma, but ultimately it's hard for them to go Jalen Suggs when they already have Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And it forces them to have to make a move when it's not clear cut anyway. Uh, but Mobley can play with Jared Allen. Uh, I, I think they'll be fine together. Mobley's more skilled on the offensive end, can step away, although he hasn't done a ton of it yet in, in college. So I think they go Mobley. And then Toronto is like the biggest winner of the draft. I mean, to get Jalen Suggs at four is absolutely insane. You know, I mean, he, he, elite level player. People thought he might be in the equation for the number one overall pick earlier in the year. Uh, and then it gets interesting at, at five, ben. you know, like, that's the one that, to me, I would take, if I'm Orlando and, and Jeff Weltman, I would take um, James Booknight. I, I just think, to me, the way the game is now, where scoring is at such a, you know, that that's that's what you want, those kind of wings that can score the ball, especially at the end of shot clock or at the end of a game, give them the ball, they can make a play. Booknight's got that. Scotty Barnes doesn't. Scotty Barnes is a Draymond Green-type player. I think Orlando really likes him, but if I'm them, I make sure I get book night at five. And then at eight, I'm still going to have a Barnes, a Kaminga, a guy who can defend, but I'm going to make sure I get book night because I think he's a guy that, you know, can can be a all-star, fringe all-star caliber player, somebody that you can sort of build around, not a franchise player, but, you know, a, a, you know, 16, 18 point a game guy. Going into last weekend, Scotty Barnes and Jonathan Kaminga were about even odds to go fifth overall to the Magic. That's what they hold right now. Why has Barnes risen up draft boards so much? And do you think there's any chance that maybe Barnes could go ahead of Jalen Suggs at four? I'd be shocked if he goes ahead of Suggs. I think it's a clear four in this draft, and I've said this all along. Like the Four guys and then a gap. And I don't know if it's Barnes moving up or Kaminga moving down, guys. I've, I've never been a huge Kaminga guy. You know, he was up and down in the bubble. He shot, what, 24% or something from three. Not a big-time three-point shooter. You know, and, and even defensively, he's got the skills, but but it's not like he's consistent, uh, you know, as a, as a big-time defender yet, where obviously Scotty Barnes can go out there and probably guard almost anybody, not almost, you know, close to anybody in the, in the league right now. You know, he's 6'9", he's long. He's strong. He's done it in college. Kaminga was up and down in the bubble, you know, and, and they love NBA guys love Jalen Green because he played hard all the time and he made shots in the bubble. And nobody thought he could. Everybody thought he was just like a 25 percent shooter like Kaminga. Well, he proved to, to be able to really make shots, play hard all the time. And he's an, an elite level athlete. And Kaminga's kind of now that versatile forward. But if you're a versatile forward and you can't shoot, what are you? Personally, I wouldn't take Kaminga in the top 10. I wouldn't. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I really would not. But but I think he'll go somewhere, you know, somewhere in that six to nine range is where I think he goes. I want to ask you about Moses Moody because so for your draft, you have him going 10th um, to the Memphis Grizzlies. And on the betting podcast early on, we talked about his over under. It was uh, I think it was over under 11 and a half. And the under was was pretty heavily favored. 
I think that's a bet I'm going to hit for Moses Moody. Do you see him at all moving outside of that top 11, or are you pretty sure he's going to go top 11, maybe even top 10? I think he goes somewhere in that range, right? I mean, but it's it's hard to say at that point because you just there's always a guy that slides out of there that you don't expect. Always, without without question. I don't know who it's going to be that kind of gets to 10 that maybe you don't expect. You know, that I mean, the Pelicans, what they need is a floor spacer, right? You can't take another guy that's going to clog the, the, the court because you've already got Zion. And, and, and Zion, as good as he is, you better have the right players around him. And J.J. Redick is at the end of his career. Like, that's it, right? Like, they don't even play him anymore. So they need somebody that's going to be able to shoot the basketball. And Moody can shoot it. He's got size, and he can guard. So I think when you have those three things, you can you can be put on the court right away. Like Corey Kispert is going to have a harder time getting on the court because he can't really guard. Moody can guard and he can shoot. He may not be the shooter Kispert is, but he's pretty good. So I I think Moody is a guy that fits in perfectly in New Orleans. Like if I'm David Griffin, and he's there, I don't even look anywhere else. Like he's exactly what that team needs right now especially if they bring in Kyle Lowry. You know, you bring in Lowry with Zion, with Ingram, you know, you you could use another guy that can just literally just kind of stretch that defense and kind of stand in the corner and then guard because they're not great defensively either. Yeah, we've seen some mock drafts with Moses Moody as high as eighth to the, the Magic, and that's the Magic second pick, so maybe it depends on what they end up doing at five. And you mentioned... James Booknight as a possibility for the Magic at five. Chris Duarte, his odds have moved because he's rising up draft board. Is there any other players that we kind of haven't heard much of that you expect to maybe go higher than expected tomorrow night? I mean, I think Kai Jones will. I've seen Kai Jones anywhere from, you know, at the high end at like 11 where I have him uh, with Charlotte to like all the way down to the 20s. And I just can't see him not going closer to 11 because he's 6'11 and he can shoot it. And that's what everybody wants right now, right? I mean, those forwards, again, that are skilled. Like, I don't understand how how the kid Sangoon, most people have him really high. I I don't get it. I just don't really get it because, you know, frankly, he's a guy that's not a a big-time athlete. Um, So I could see him really kind of falling. He put up big numbers in Turkey, but you know, again, if you're below the rim big these days, people have them. I've seen them in mock drafts as high as like 10 or 12. I don't think that's going to happen. But again, Oklahoma City, I mean, we'll see how many picks Presti holds on to here, uh, or if he makes a move in Golden State. You know, Golden State could change this whole draft. If if they make a real move, and I, you know, I've been told Bob Myers certainly wants to see if he can upgrade right now, right? And get another veteran that can help them win now. you like, Duarte would be great at, at 14 to be able to add because Duarte is a guy that I think in the second unit can come in and help him. He can shoot it. You know, he makes good decisions with the ball. He can guard. I think he's really good. But again, if you're, if you're Bob Myers in Golden State right now, you're looking to win another title. And is Chris Duarte going to put you over the top? Like, he'll help you. But to me, it's like, well, is Bradley Beal available? Because that's who we want. You know, if you're if you're Golden State, you're saying like take Wiggins, take Wiseman, take seven and fourteen, 
and give us Beal, and we're good. And and they probably won't do it because I don't know why you want Wiggins, but uh, <laughs> but ultimately that's what you're trying to do, right? Like whatever you can do to get that other piece. If Clay comes back to put with with Steph, Clay, Draymond, and that's where. I mean, regardless, if, if they just have to settle for like seven and 14 and they get like, I got him at Davion Mitchell, he's a guy I still higher than most. A lot of guys have him now fallen into that maybe almost a second pick for Golden State around 14 or somewhere 10 to 14. I, I still think that some team will, will and it's hard because Sacramento is not going to take him, right? We, we know that. Um, you know, Charlotte's not going to take him. If he gets there, Charlotte's got multiple point guards. Sacramento's got De'Aaron Fox and Hal Burton, so they're not going to touch him. Um, so really, the, the the spots for him are, are more Golden State, Orlando at eight. I think Davion Mitchell would be really good at Orlando for at eight, to be honest, because they need a point guard. I mean, I know people think Cole Anthony might be the guy. Like Cole Anthony, to me, is a good second unit point guard. Davion Mitchell's really interesting to me because I know, you know, after right after March Madness, if you were to ask people, they would have said absolutely top 10, top 10 guy. And then the summer happens, he gets out of everyone's minds and suddenly he's now like 12 and a half, 13 people are expecting him. But you're still high on him. I am. I, I mean, elite defender, elite yeah. defender who shot 45 percent from three. Now, was that a fluke? It might have been. I mean, he's probably not a 45 percent three point shooter, let's be honest. But can he be a. 37% three-point shooter in the NBA. And if he's that, and if he's Marcus Smart on the defensive end, and he's a better shooter than Marcus Smart, and also he's a better decision maker, certainly at this stage, it may be even, he might be a better decision maker today than Marcus Smart is with the ball in his hands running a team. So I, I think Davion Mitchell's pretty damn good. And at worst case scenario, he's an elite level defender. At best case scenario, you've got a guy who's a top 10 point guard. So before we finish out, I do want to ask you about Io Nsumu from Illinois. Um, I think just looking at the odds, I think it was 26 and a half was his draft spot. What are you expecting to where he goes? Uh, what, what teams do you think would be interested in him? What's kind of your, your thoughts around Io? It's crazy how um, NBA guys, they just don't really love him. They don't. Yeah. And, you know, part of it is they don't know what he is, right? They, they feel like he was able to play bully ball and use that body in college and he won't be able to do it in the league. And, you know, he, he's a guy that actually did, you know, the one, one of the things that NBA guys told him to come back for was shoot it better. Well, he did. I mean, he shot like 39% from three last year. So he did that, but I think they, they, they feel like, well, he's not a point and he's really not a two because he doesn't score it well enough to be a two. But, you know, again, I think when you're talking in the mid twenties, which is probably where he goes, that's pretty good value. You know, him, I think Jared Butler is another one that's really intriguing right now because of the medical, you know, came back. Now he's cleared by the NBA. Still, how concerned are teams? Even though he's cleared, how concerned are teams with that medical? Um, I love Jared Butler. I think he can be, again, a great, you know, combo guard coming off the bench in the league. So I think if you can get him in the 20s. And then, you know, there's some red flag guys. Jalen Johnson. Where does he go? I mean, he's kind of the ultimate wild card for me in that kind of mid-tier range. Could he go 10? Sure. Could he go 25? Yeah. Like, we just don't know what came back 
from the Duke camp and all the other people that, that the NBA guys have talked to while he jumped around from school to school in high school. I did see a bet out there, uh, Jalen Johnson or Kai Jones to be drafted first. And based on some of the things you said and some other mocks I've read, I think Kai Jones could be a good bet because I also agree that just there might be some concerns because of how Jalen Johnson's one year at Duke went and opting out of the season and some of the, the potential backlash and red flags that caused. One question I have, when making a mock draft, how hard is it to decide on what you think will happen and what you think should happen? And is it kind of hard to sort all the information based on information you get, but also knowing that you have followed a lot of these players throughout their college careers and maybe even some in high school? Early on, it's what you think, what you would do, because you don't have enough info. Like when you do that first one after the lottery, you haven't talked to enough people. So it, you've talked to some people early on in the process, but you know, you're doing a lot of like what you think the needs are, you know, um, you know, Cleveland, for instance, you're like, okay, they can't take Suggs. They're not taking them. They're, they're, they're going to take Mobley. And then as you get more and more info, you might change that. So by now it's more of what you think teams are going to do. But early on, a lot of it is what you think they should do. Not necessarily what you think they're going to do, what you think they should do. And then the more you talk to NBA guys, the more you're like, okay, yeah, I had IO a lot higher early. I did. But eventually you talk to enough NBA guys and they're like, yeah, like I was not going in the teens. You look like an idiot. You have them there. And it's like, okay, I better drop them. You know, I, I liked IO more than other people because I saw him in college and he was dominant. You know, he had a hell of a year for the most part. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think Kaminga for me again was another one I wrestled with because I was never a big like I would have put Kaminga. I'm telling you, like 15, if it were what I what I would do, like if it were what I would do, I would have Jonathan Kaminga going like 16 to Oklahoma City. That's where I would wow. have. Just me personally, you know. But again. He's not going to go 16. I know he's going to go higher than 16. So I, I, you know, again, it's a it's kind of that balancing act. But you, you ultimately you got to do what you think the teams are going to do, not what you would do or want them to do. Well, I appreciate that because as uh, someone who tries to make a little bit of money off this thing, it's much more useful to get the opinions of the the people who are as plugged in as it gets, and not just someone who uh, puts their scouting hat on and pretends like it's a video game. So appreciate that. Uh, thanks a lot, Jeff, for joining us. We can watch you tomorrow on the Inside the Association draft special. That starts at 8 p.m. Eastern. And your mock draft, as we mentioned, on watchstadium.com. Anything else you want to add? Uh, Bones Highland moving up. Moving up quick, boys. There we go. It's getting a little bit of momentum here. Bones Highland is, is probably the one. The other one that... Um, I don't know. It's funny. I did something with DraftKings yesterday, and they asked me what I liked out of out of the prop bets, and I said I would go the um, the over on Sharif Cooper, and it was like 20 at that point, or 20 and a half maybe, and literally like an hour later, it was 22 and a half. So wow. I still like it. I still like the over, but I loved it at 20 and a half. Loved it. I saw 20 and a half yesterday morning, and yeah, right now we're sitting at 22 and a half with Crazy. juice on the over minus 130. So 
that's on the move, and who knows, that may be at the mid-20s by the time uh, the draft can't starts. Shoot. Listen, he can't shoot and he can't guard. Those are two things yeah. you need to be able to do. Yeah. One of, at least do one of them. Like, if you can't do either of those, I don't know how. I mean, he's, in, he's a hell of a passer. He is. He's a hell of a passer. But um, to me, again, I, I don't know how you can take him. At, I, I think he falls out of the first round. But, or, or late first, 28, 29, somewhere in there. That would cover every number. So that's, that's good enough for us. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate you coming on. You got it, guys. Good coming on, and uh, I'll see you guys soon. All right. I want to thank Jeff for coming on, talking to us. Always, uh, always fun to hear from college basketball insider Jeff Goodman. All right, college football analysis. Time for the Big Ten. We did SEC last week. We did ACC at the tail end of last week. So it's time for the Big Ten. Um, seemingly the only conference not trying to uh, expand at this point in the college football world. Uh, wait a second. Who knows? <laughs> let's, let's, uh... It's uh, it's definitely possible, I guess. You never know. But yeah. uh, they seem pretty comfortable with where they're at. But <laughs> we may see uh, we may see a lot of people have suggested some Pac-12 teams in the Big Ten, some Oregon's or some UCLA's moving on to the Big Ten. But that's neither here nor there. So for college football schedule analysis, Nate, let's have you start. What uh, what teams are you looking at for win total over under? Yeah, so might might not be a bet, but just want to kind of talk about the big teams in the Big Ten, and and we might end up doing something a little bit bigger um, on the SEC. I thought we did a good job going in depth on the ACC last week, so maybe in a few weeks can can do a little deeper dive on the SEC, who looks like they're getting two new members for uh, for the future, um, and that's kind of hot, uh, dominated the news cycle, but still want to talk about college football this season and try to find betting opportunities, but we'll have to start with Ohio state. I mean, how can you not have the to. clear powerhouse in the big 10? We talked about in the ACC show about how Clemson is so much better than the rest of the teams in the ACC and they have an easier schedule because they don't have to play themselves. We can say the same thing about Ohio state. Their win total is at 11 and out of a 12 game season, uh, the juice on the over minus 115, So about, exactly 11 is, is the right number minus 380 to win the big 10 and i actually didn't look at their to win the big 10 odds because we live in illinois and <laughs> uh you can't bet on illinois college teams so the illinois yeah. like big 10 odds are diluted um because you can't bet on illinois or northwestern uh but because they're minus 380 to win the big 10 east they're probably around minus between minus 170 minus 190 to win the the Big Ten, maybe even $2, depending on where you look. They do have a new quarterback this year after uh, two seasons of Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud, who was a good high recruit from California. Um, and Ryan Day just is taking off, uh, picking up where Urban Meyer left off in terms of recruiting. And when it comes to just X's and O's, probably an improvement. And they have a loaded wide receiver room at Ohio State. So, Expect Ohio State to still be great. Uh, the question mark with the quarterback being a new starter is there, but with the talent around him and the coaching, I expect Stroud to be a solid quarterback for Ohio State. Uh, when it comes to the schedule, they host Oregon early in the season. They were supposed to play at Oregon last season because of the changes in the college football schedule where it was only conference games. That game didn't happen, and, and this was the originally scheduled game to be in Columbus. So Oregon will travel to Ohio State, a big game for both teams. 
Uh, but other than that, Ohio State, not too difficult of a schedule. They avoid Wisconsin and Iowa from the West, which are two of the best teams in the West. The only other East teams that avoid both is Michigan State. So the schedule sets up very nicely for Ohio State, one of the top five teams to win the national title and definitely one of the favorites to make the college football playoff because they're such heavy chalk uh, or pretty big chalk to win the Big Ten conference and very heavy chalk to win the Big Ten East. Yeah, they're going to be really good. (laughs) They're going to be a really good team. Uh, as always. But you can't talk about Ohio State without talking about Michigan. And I don't know how much longer they're going to be considered on the same plane, unfortunately. But Michigan right now is at seven and a half for their season win total. And most places, it seems like the over is favored for that. Um, And this is a team that really struggled last season. Um, They had quarterback issues with Joe Milton came in and just was not as advertised, inaccurate, not good in tough situations was under pressure a lot and Michigan didn't really have a run game. So not completely all his fault, but he still did not play well. Um, It looks like Cade McNamara is going to be their starter. So they're going to maybe have at least a better quarterback available to them. They get a lot of their linebackers back, um, get some of their secondary back. And what, what uh, Harbaugh did is he just completely cleaned house. He got rid of all the assistants, brought in new guys. I think most of them under 40 years old, a lot of young guys on that team trying to change the culture, change the recruiting, they change, they're changing up the defense. Don Brown, the old defensive coordinator, is out. He got fired. So this is going to be a completely new team that we see, except for, you know, the same head coach. So I don't know how much different Michigan is going to be. I would expect them to be a little bit better than last season, especially now with their home games. They're going to get 100-plus thousand fans, which I'm sure will help them out a lot in their home games at the big house. Um, but I think I still may go under the seven and a half. And They start with four straight home games, which I think are all four are winnable. That Washington game is going to be a bit tough. So if we even play a little conservative here and say they go three and one on their opening four games at home, um, the schedule gets very tough once they get into October and uh, into November. They obviously end with Ohio State. They have to go to Wisconsin to play. They have to go to Nebraska to play, and and they should beat Nebraska, but it's tough if you're going to Nebraska on the road. It's a tough environment to play. Um, Indiana is is a tough team this season. I could easily see them losing that game to Indiana, even though it's at home. Um, And even Penn State, a team they've struggled to beat in the last three or four years. They play Penn State. So they could start the season out 4-0. If we say they start out 3-1, I still really can see them only winning four more games of that schedule. So I, I think you're pretty safe on the under 7.5. Um, but I just there's so many question marks with this Michigan team that it's really tough for me to be so positive to say, yes, they're going to win eight, they're going to win nine games. Um, I it's, it's just tough for me to see that, especially with all the new coaches, not a proven quarterback, um, and and not proven running backs either. So it's I would probably lean the under in this one. Yeah, and that, that Washington game in week two seems like, or the second game of the season, I know there's kind of that week zero. So yeah, it would be week yeah. two. That seems like the, the swing game, I guess, in terms of this bet. So if you don't feel comfortable going over the win total or under the win total, I, I would look maybe to, Based on what you think of Michigan, attack Michigan that way so you don't have your money tied up for three to four months. Uh, that yeah. that game seems like it will kind of determine what Michigan is. They get that Western game against Western Michigan in the opener. 
So maybe that's a little bit of a slow start for them. So I would, I wouldn't, uh, I would advocate maybe fading Michigan there too, but I know you mentioned the, that Wisconsin game is, is makes the schedule very, very challenging. Uh, oh, in yeah. my opinion, just because it's a tough place to play. And, and we'll, I'm not, I'm sure you'll talk about Wisconsin. We expect drastic improvement with, for them with a, a full oh, yeah. off season of Graham Mertz, who was a, a highly recruited quarterback that they got to come to Madison. Yeah. Wisconsin will be a lot better. We can talk about them in a second for sure. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention the other big 10 East, I guess, power, or the team that is going to maybe challenge Ohio state the most Penn state over under eight and a half, a little bit of juice on the over They're six to one to win the big 10 East. Uh, when it comes to schedule, early non-conference game hosting Auburn, but you're getting Auburn probably at the right time early in the season. New coach, Ryan Harrison, which was a questionable hire, in my opinion. I think it was more questionable that they fired Gus Malzahn and paid him $21 million buyout during a pandemic. But uh, sometimes <laughs> the grass is, uh, people think the grass is always greener, especially in SEC country. Uh, but probably a good spot to get Auburn uh, when they scheduled this game. It probably would have been a much more difficult game, but um, Penn state fun week, one game opening at Wisconsin. Um, they also have to go in October play at Iowa and at Ohio state. So I mentioned how Ohio state has a favorable schedule because they avoid Wisconsin and Iowa, but Penn state not only has to play both those teams, the teams with the two highest wind tolls in the West. And I think clearly the two best teams, in the West division of the big 10, they have to go on the road for those games. So kind of a tricky schedule for Penn state, a weird team last year. Cause they started off. zero and five, they lost that controversial game to Indiana, as I'm sure Ben remembers. And as someone who had Indiana plus seven, seem <laughs> fine to me. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, <laughs> panics definitely like didn't touch the ground, but that was just a tough way, <laughs> tough loss early in the year. I, I was happy. I mean, I, I was happy oh, yeah. the game. I was just happy the game was over and it wasn't going to go into another overtime yeah. and, and oh, Penn State could potentially lose by uh, or win by eight. Uh, yeah. But then they lose to Ohio State the next week and they, they kind of just sputtered. They started off 0 5. Then they won their last four games against some easier competition. Uh, Sean Clifford, third year starter. And, and I think kind of the success on this team. Um, rides on Sean Clifford's shoulders if he can kind of improve and take the next step. It's it's nice that Penn State has that continuity at the quarterback position, but maybe he's just not that good as he showed at times last season. So Penn State, a team that I just don't I've bet against a lot in in last few years. I'm just not a fan of James Franklin in general. I think I just I just don't like him personally. So I <laughs> Maybe that's a bad thing that <laughs> a I'm showing my bias, James but Franklin. yeah, I just don't like James Franklin. And I, I think it, it's not because like he's a bad person or anything. Well, that could actually be in question, but that's not why I don't like him, but he just gets a little too conservative. And when you're at a school like Penn state, that's now able to recruit again at a, at a high level, I feel like they just don't get the most of the talent they have. And we've seen some really good players come out of Penn state who are now in the NFL who uh, Franklin, coached or recruited so um we'll see eight and a half seems like a pretty good number on them maybe betting against them in some individual games is the way i'll look um and it possibly that that week one game when they go to camp randall 
um, that which will be a, a full crowd in Madison, which is one of the more daunting places to play in college football. So uh, I think that's going to be a game we'll, we'll definitely discuss. But from a season-long perspective, I'd stay away from Penn State just because I, I think there is a potential that they they could get to 10 wins um, if they win that Iowa game and, and just lose to Wisconsin-Ohio State. They, there's a chance they can they could win the rest of their games. So speaking of Wisconsin, their win total is at nine and a half. And I think the under is slightly favored at most books at under nine and a half. And it's tough. I mean, this is a team, as you said, they get Graham Mertz back for a full season and he's going to be fully healthy. And this is a team that, you know, hopefully won't have to deal with the COVID issues that kept guys in and out of the lineup the entire season. Um, they were hurt a lot by COVID last year. They're getting a lot of returners back. I think their full linebacking core is back. Their offensive line, as always with Wisconsin, is going to be really solid. Um, they have a tough schedule early on. You said that Penn State game first, right out of the gate. They play Penn State. They are at home, which helps. They play Notre Dame at Soldier Field in Chicago, which I think is going to be a really fun game. Um, but that could be a tough win for them. They go to Illinois who is getting better and that again they're, they're playing their old coach Bielma so that that's going to be oh. a, I think just uh storyline wise could be fun but if we're talking about over under nine and a half I think I would lean the over I think I could see them winning 10 out of the 12 games this season the second half of the season fairly easy Purdue Rutgers Northwestern Nebraska even at Minnesota to end the season I mean I think they I think those are all very winnable games and if we're talking about two games that they can lose, if they lose against Notre Dame and lose against Iowa, I think that that's about the only losses I can see. I mean, I could see it going either way with Penn State, but they should, like you said, they should be better than Penn State. Wisconsin should beat that Penn State team at home. First game of the season, fully healthy. They're ready to go. If they lose to Notre Dame, they can afford one more loss. And I think that loss could be against a team like Iowa or maybe on the road against Minnesota. So I think 10 wins is very easily available to, to Wisconsin this season. Yeah, I feel like Wisconsin may be a, a dark horse team to to make the playoff just because of the potential that Graham Mertz has. For sure. No, 100%. And, and I mean, it just seems like a team that they're ready to go. They had such a bad season last year. It's the season yeah. to forget all the COVID injuries, everything. It was just like the season for, from hell for them. So I think they're ready. And, and they got a lot of returners who are ready to go. It was for a lot of teams, which I know a lot of respected college football um, betters or handicappers or people who put out the, the preview stuff. They're kind of throwing last year out the window in terms of yeah. the statistics, which I think in some cases is true. Um, I think it's something worth considering, but not putting too much weight into it as opposed to like a normal 12 game season um, this season uh, for this upcoming year. Absolutely. All right. What team do we want to do next? Wisconsin's biggest uh, competitor in the Big Ten West. You got something on uh, the Hawkeyes, Rizzo? I do indeed. Uh, I actually had a good time diving deep into the Hawkeyes uh, schedule this year. And, you know, it's Kirk Ferentz. He continues to impress, right? He uh, Year after year, they, they come ready to play. This isn't your blue bloods, right? But this is your blue collar, if you will. This is... Night, me and Nate have always talked about it. <laughs> night in and night out, you get these Midwest boys that just want to play football, right? The since 2001, two losing seasons, 
eight straight winning seasons and you you watch them and I mean, you could say every game is close, but realistically, every loss is close. I, I couldn't tell you the last time an Iowa team has gotten blown out. Uh, they started off last year 0-2, and people were kind of like, oh, maybe the, the Magic's finally wearing off. And then they went out and won six in a row and finished 6-2. and two. Uh, they, they lost a lot of playmakers on the offensive end. I know they lost Smith-Marset and uh, one other receiver. They return... They're all Big Ten running back, and they return who a lot of people think is the going to be the best center in the nation or the best center in the draft, Tyler Linderbaum. So losing some, bringing back some, I personally don't think it matters. They replace talent pretty well here. It's tight end you. They usually find playmakers. Uh, they bring back seven defensive starters, and it is a perennial top 10 defense. I think in the last Three of the last four years, they've been 11th or better in scoring allowed. So Iowa is, you know, they're they're a very good team, and you don't necessarily pay that premium that you do for for these other teams. Their uh, their win total is sitting at eight and a half, and they dodge Ohio State and Michigan. I know Michigan's not what they've been, but still, don't have to worry about them. They have a so it's a, a pretty favorable conference schedule. Uh, there are three non-conference games. You know, no FCS team. They play three teams that might all be bowling. Not necessarily great teams, but but solid teams. And let's just uh, let's get into it. I will say one thing uh, that I really like about their win total is if you bet it, you might have a good idea of what's going to happen after two weeks. They they play two tough games right off the bat. They they start. Tough week one draw at home versus Indiana. Uh, I say Iowa wins at home. I'm sorry, Ben. That's a that's going to be a tough game for Indiana. They're going to come out and get punched be. in the mouth. We'll see how they answer. Um, yeah. I would give Indiana that win. Or I'm sorry, I will give Iowa that win. So Iowa, you know, 1-0. Uh, next, they face Iowa State uh, at Iowa State. But Matt Campbell's never beaten Iowa. Uh, I don't know. Does it start here? I, I'll say no. But like I was saying, if you're on the inverse and you think that they go 0-2 in these first two games you and you bet the over, you can rip up your ticket, right? Or if you took the under and they go 2-0, you're in trouble. You know what I mean? These first two games are very important. 1-1 one one is in the cards as well, but I, I really like Iowa to, to start off 2-0. Then they play a Kent State team that I think they beat. Then they play a Colorado State team where Steve Adazio is an interesting matchup for these guys, but I, I think that Iowa is just supremely talented. They go to Maryland. They're 5-0. and I think you guys can see where I'm going with this. I like the over. Uh, yeah. Home to Penn State. Penn State has to play Indiana the week before. Ben's, Ben's Hoosiers are going to give them a good fight. It is a revenge game for Penn State. Iowa beat them by 20 last year at College Station, I believe. But... Um, I like Iowa, or yeah, I like Iowa at home. So now they're six and zero. They get Purdue at home, seven and zero. Now they've got a bye week going to Wisconsin, revenge game for Wisconsin. But Ferentz has two weeks of prep, getting his boys fired up, showing wow. him all these, showing him all these uh, Graham Mertz name, image, and likeness commercials, locker room material. And uh, I don't know who wins this one, but it's going to be 14 to 13. Somebody's going to win that game 14 to 13. It might be Iowa. It might be Wisconsin. 
Then they go to Northwestern, another close game. We'll say that one's a loss. I, I do think Iowa goes one and one in that stretch, though. And then they have uh, Minnesota at home, Illinois at home, and then on the road to Nebraska. I, I think that this team wins nine games. I think they maybe win 10 games. I, I like Iowa this year. Uh, they got a 6'5", 230-pound quarterback who played, I believe, all eight games last year. And uh, they just come ready to play. This is a team that are probably more fun to bet game by game because you know that they will keep things close and each game will be entertaining. Well, not necessarily entertaining to watch because there are a couple, <laughs> couple rock fights, but close <laughs> games. The fourth quarter might be fun. Yeah. Uh, but at eight and a half, I, I think there's value on the over. And if you do bet the over and they start off 0-2, you can stop following Iowa football. So uh, I like I like the the Hawkeyes this year. Uh, it should be a, a fun fun over under bet. Yeah, I'm interested to see what their quarterback Spencer Spencer Petrus could do and if he can kind of improve a little bit. You mentioned they lost their first two games last year, but then were very good after that. So. Um, some positives that maybe they could take into the offseason after starting off 0-2 and, and kind of being off a lot of people's radar after they uh, started off slow. So can't start off slow this year, as you mentioned, two tough games. And definitely looking forward to the, the week one game where Ben's Hoosiers go to Iowa City. And then, of course, the annual Cyhawk game, which has a lot at stake this year because it's a Iowa State team that has a lot to prove. And Iowa kind of dominates that uh, series. So. Uh, they're going to be the uh, the hunted, I guess, in that game when they play in week two. Yeah, that that series is always <laughs> it's like Iowa State is the, everyone thinks they're the better team. They have the supreme talent. They should be winning. They're winning in the fourth quarter and yep. Iowa wins. And then like <laughs> the wind picks up and it gets 25 miles per hour. As <laughs> yeah. Iowa State's trying to like mount a comeback or something. The wind just starts picking up in the on the farms of Ames. <laughs> All right. Should I do Indiana win total? Yeah, do, do Indiana. You... And then I'll say something quick about Nebraska and then we can, we can move Perfect. on to the NFL. So I use win total. I saw eight at some, I saw seven and a half at others. Um, I think it's tough to say this, but I do think it's going to be under, I think, I think seven wins is probably the realistic most probable goal and most probable number that Indiana will hit will be that seven game win mark that Iowa game Rizzo I do think Iowa wins and I'm you know haunted by the ghosts of Indiana football teams past where they have a real shot to do something special real shot to win and they just don't do it and I think this is one of those games it is a very tough game to start the season out on the road at Iowa against an Iowa team that you said is going to be really good and really hungry to get wins. So I do think they start the, the season off with a loss. They play Idaho. They have a tough home game against Cincinnati, who's a, who's a tough power five school. I think so. I think they could start the season two and one. I think that's very realistic. Three and one even with Western Kentucky. They go to Penn State. Penn State's going to be really hungry for, for a win there. Um, so I think they have that three and two. Michigan State could be a win. Four and two. Ohio State will make it four and three. I think they can beat Maryland. I think they can beat Rutgers. And I think they can beat Minnesota or Purdue. So that could be four more wins possibly. But I think realistically, they probably lose a game they should win. They get those three wins after four. They, that comes up to seven. They, they lose to Michigan, Ohio State. Um, I can see them losing to Minnesota or Purdue. 
um, one of those games. So I think seven wins is pretty realistic for this team. They're going to have one of the better quarterbacks in the nation and Michael Penix come back from an ACL injury. So if he could stay healthy, they're going to maybe get to eight wins, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy all three years. He's been with Indiana for a full season. So that's has, has yet to be seen for him. The defense is going to be as good as ever. Um, they have a new offensive coordinator. So I think seven wins is really the re- the realistic number here. If everything goes right and they have another magical season, then I could see eight, maybe even nine wins. But that is that's that's really reaching at, for a point like that. So I think seven wins is really the the realistic one. So I would go under seven and a half, and I'd go under eight. I appreciate that, Ben. I, I was fully coming in thinking like, oh, you're gonna talk up Indiana ten and two. <laughs> let's go. Uh, but hey, no, you're, I can't. You're, you're being a realist, and you know what it's like to be a Indiana football fan, and Sadly. a lot of heartbreaking losses at the old uh, is it what Memorial Stadium or Memorial just, Stadium? Yeah. It? Okay. <laughs> Which I I I think they can get a bowl win this season, and they've lost their last two bowls, so I think this is a good bowl win season for them. But it is a tough schedule, and. I do think a big part of their success last season was just a weird, bizarre COVID ridden season. I mean, they beat a Wisconsin team that was destroyed by COVID and injuries. And that Penn state game could have easily been a loss if the officials called it another way at the end of that game. Um, And I know the Ohio state game was close. They, they beat a very bad Michigan team that was having, has completely different coaches now and completely different personnel. So I do think we'll look back at that season that Indiana have, and I don't want to say it was a fluke because they are a very good team, but I do think they got very lucky in a lot of different games. Um, and so I think this is the season where they, they come back down to earth just a little bit. They're still good. They still have a good defense, but I don't think they get the wins against some of the better teams on their schedule. And just a reminder, you mentioned that you think a bowl win is in the cards for them this year. Um, that when we talk about win totals, just for anyone kind of new to college football betting, it is only the 12 game regular season schedule does not include a bowl game and does not include a potential conference championship game. So just know that what you're betting into. And if there is a, a game that's postponed and not made up, then there's a good chance that that bet you make on a season win total will be refunded. So maybe be a little bit hesitant if you think there could be some COVID issues or some weather issues, which was typically the cause for a lot of games being postponed. Some when the hurricane season begins in, in the Southeast and some other parts of the U.S. I'll just quickly mention Nebraska because they're a big name program who is greatly underachieved in, since really they started in the Big Ten. Scott Frost, head coach's fourth year, I guess if you count last year's third year, going into his second year, the last time there was a full college football season, Nebraska had a lot of hype. So much hype where I think they ended up being the favorites to win the Big Ten West because there was this narrative that like second year of wherever Scott Frost goes, he turns the program amazing. And that was based on him taking UCF to a 12-0 and perfect season, uh, at least regular season. I, I think they won the conference title in their bowl game. Uh, so it was like, oh, Scott Frost, second year, going to do amazing things. They ended up greatly disappointing in 2019. So now... Maybe some new expectations. I know it's kind of a fan base that expects a lot in Lincoln, but maybe they're knowing, like, let's do baby steps, get to that bowl game, and try to figure it out from there. However, tough schedule for Nebraska, and the reason I wanted to bring them up is because of that schedule. They 
um, have to play Wisconsin and Iowa, of course, in the Big Ten West. And those games are at the end of the season. So it's a brutal November for them because they also have to host Ohio State. They have to host Michigan from the East. So it's kind of a tough schedule when you when you take in effect the just from the conference standpoint where you have to play Ohio State and Michigan while other teams avoid both. And then the end of the year stretch in two games in six days at Wisconsin and then home against Nebraska or Iowa the day after uh, Thanksgiving, the Friday after. But then it gets really, really difficult because on September 18th, they have to play in Norman against <sighs> Oklahoma. So probably regret that they uh, they scheduled that home and home between <laughs> two old Big 12 uh you know, staples and Nebraska has been gone for 10 years. And now Oklahoma is going for greener pastures on um, leaving the big 12. So kind of a tough schedule, especially because the week after they have to go to Michigan state, which is a team that we think maybe could improve a little bit because they were so bad last year, but because the circumstances were tough. So um, Nebraska pretty tough schedule. And as a, at a win total of six and a half, I, I have a hard time seeing them go over, over um, winning seven games or more, uh, especially if they go into the November month out, uh, what would it be like six and three, I would have a trouble seeing them beating all of Ohio state, Wisconsin and Iowa, as long as we expect Wisconsin and Iowa to, to play to their potential this season. So Nebraska under is probably a bet I'm going to make before the season starts and their season actually starts in week zero. They have to go to Illinois. So that could be a, a tricky game with Brett Bielema's uh, home debut as the Illinois there you go. head coach. So that's the big 10 we're going to do. We still got big 12 coming up and we'll have uh, pac 12 as well coming up down the road for this podcast. So we'll still be talking college football right up until the season starts, and then we'll be uh, betting on games. So very excited about that. Now, before we get to best bets, some NFC North news with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, coming back to the Packers, it looks like. So that drastically changed the odds for the Packers in terms of Super Bowl winners, division winners, win totals, everything like that changed for the Green Bay Packers. So we just wanted to take a quick look at that because now the division odds for the Packers – they went from, what was it? I think it was like plus 170, plus yeah. 165 or something. They're now minus 150 to win the division. Yeah, so that's basically what they would have been, I think, if, if Rodgers didn't have his whole uh, controversy, which actually started the day of the draft, and that kind of drastically changed everything. Um, but this is a little bit of a timeline. The Vikings were basically the favorites over the weekend because there was rumors that Rodgers could retire. A lot of sportsbook actually pulled the odds. So you couldn't bet anything NFC North related, whether it was division or over under win totals for the four teams in that division. Then reports came on Monday that Rodgers was likely going to come back. And then he actually returned to training camp on Tuesday. So now we're kind of back to where we started. I'd say we're now the Packers minus 150 over under win total currently at 10 but as ben you mentioned yeah the vikings were plus 125 at uh, at circa in las vegas to win the division over the weekend and the packers were plus 195 i saw so uh, quite a bit of a change in terms of they changed all these things and then a couple cryptic instagram stories and <laughs> 
who knows what happened? Uh, some just player movement around the league. And, and now we're back to kind of what we thought. And it looks like it's going to be a normal situation for the Packers, at least for this season. But from the sound of it, it looks like, and if you kind of read into some of those Instagram posts, it's going to be one more season of Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay before he kind of decides what to do next. But it sounds like unless he somehow makes up with the front office that he despises, it looks like he's going to spend one year for the Packers, kind of be a good soldier, and then try to pick a place that will trade for him. Um, I'm sure there'll be many suitors, but uh, we'll have to figure that out next year. But for this year, it looks like Rodgers is going to play. Did see that before the like some of the the rumblings of all this stuff in week one, the Packers were a three point underdog in New Orleans. So Rogers returning, coupled with I guess the Michael Thomas injury, because that's a wide receiver who actually impacts the point spread. And I saw the Packers are a two point road favorite in that week one game and the dome in New Orleans. It's going to be interesting because what their win totals at ten now. Ten in a, in a seventeen game season. So yes. 10, yeah, so they, they're, I know also their 17th game is at Kansas City, so the mm-hmm. toughest probably 17th game you could get, uh, so that probably maybe factors into the win, well, definitely factors into the win total, but maybe why you might not think it, it'd be higher, like 10 and a half, um, and there's also like a threat that maybe he just doesn't have the same motivation he did last year Uh, i think there was a lot of motivation driven from the the jordan love draft pick and and now who knows where he is at and his mentally and his his mind is at so um i'm not sure if there's a win total you guys like the vikings are at nine the bears are at seven and a half the lions at four and a half juice to the over there's also a lot of lions five where you can go under five um, is there anything you guys like in, in terms of that? Maybe Rizzo, do you have a thought on on your Bears? Over. 17, over. Yeah. Seven, 17 game season, they're going to win eight games. Defense is still legit. Uh, offense is going to be just fine. I wish yeah. Matt Nagy would give Justin Fields a shot to be the starter outright, but Andy Dalton can at least play the role of game manager, similar to how Mitch Trubisky did in the first three games last year. Hopefully they don't have to be Comeback kids in all three, but uh, eight wins is attainable. That's, you know, eight and nine. Very, very doable. A lot of question marks surrounding the Packers. Who's to say Aaron Rodgers doesn't go full baby and walk out after week four or something, you know? He, he, oh, does, sure. he does what he wants. So that's – yeah. I, I, I like the Bears over. Slight – the heavy hometown bias, but uh, it is what it is. Seven and a half is not high enough. The Packers under, I'm no by no means saying betted, but it is an interesting look. If you look at the middle of their schedule, they have a daunting six-game stretch. They go on the road against the Cardinals and the Chiefs. They have the Seahawks. They go back on the road against the Vikings. They have the Rams. The Bears game, you know, people may chalk that up as a win, but it's a rivalry game, so that's going to be a fun, tough game. And then they play the Ravens. That's a really tough six-game stretch, Um, and I could easily see them losing a majority of those games. So, you know, if, if, like Rizzo said, you just don't know how predictable Rodgers is going to be, and Nate, like you said with him, you don't know the motivation for him. If if people are feeling really strong and the market is swinging heavily in favor of a pro Packer season over 10 and the over is favored just because Rodgers is coming back, you may want to get the other side of that and say going against the hype and 
unmotivated Rodgers, a tough middle-of-the-season schedule. Maybe hitting that under, expecting them to get nine wins in the season could be the move. Yeah, one team I do want to bring up, the Vikings. There was a lot of bets, I guess, over the weekend, thinking Rodgers is going to retire. It's the time to strike on the Vikings, even though their odds shortened a lot. But now that Rodgers is back, I kind of am intrigued to go over their win total. Uh, just think a lot of things went wrong for them last season. The, the, they really were hurt by the pandemic. They were breaking in a lot of new defensive starters. Um, and their defense really struggled, which is uncommon for Mike Zimmer. So I expect the defense to be better. Uh, the offensive line shored up after they added Christian Derisaw, who's a day one left tackle for them. They have Dalvin Cook. Uh, Jefferson and Phelan are solid wide receivers. And if Cousins, I'm not asking Cousins to, you know, win a Super Bowl or win a NFC title. I'm just asking him to win 10 games in a 17 game seasons. I think that's a, a pretty decent way to go. And I know week one, they're playing the Bengals and that line opened pretty short and it got bet some Vikings money came in, even though we know that Joe Burrow should be able to play in that week one game. And I'm just going to quickly look. Yeah, Vikings minus three. I think that's probably going to be one of my stronger week one bets, thinking that the Vikings could be a team in a buy low opportunity. And it's kind of back to that buy low status because Rodgers is playing. If Rodgers wasn't playing, then I wouldn't be looking to take the Vikings at a short number. I think the Bears would have actually been more attractive just because you have that Justin Fields upside. But now that Rodgers is back, the Vikings are kind of a team I'll be eyeing and going to look to somehow bet them before the season whether it's week one against the Bengals or over their win total or maybe both. So stay tuned for that. Best bets time. Let's do our best bets for the NBA draft. Some MLB best bets. Lots to bet on in the next couple of days. Um, Rizzo, it looks like you have a good amount for best bets. And as this is being your uh, your last show, let's uh, let's hear it. It is actually one singular bet it is a four leg parlay i am giving it out uh i want to go out with a bang it comes out to 10 to 1 and it i love it it's it's perfect um keep it short and sweet the marlins money line all right they are uh playing baltimore and this is this marlins team is one that i've been you know trying to get behind their their run differential does not reflect the record in a good way for them uh or at least going forward so i think that they beat a uh, not so great baltimore team the mets money line uh they play the braves max freed is pitching for the braves and he has been just very bad this year unfortunately i'm not sure if he's going through some health issues or, or what's going on there but we're going to take the mets to win uh, White Sox money line, uh, Giolito on the bump. He's been looking great of late. They're also facing a lefty in Chris Bubich. And while the Sox haven't been as prevalent against lefties this year, we saw last night they got Eloy back. He's another lefty killer added into that lineup. Uh, I like the White Sox. And then the Angels and the Rockies over nine. Uh, Chichi Gonzalez versus Andrew Heaney. Both have in the past shown the ability to string together a couple good starts. But when you look at their peripherals, they're just not great pitchers. Uh, I like those offenses to continue to stay hot and go over the total of nine. So those four strung together in one big old parlay pays out 10 to one. We are going to uh, end best bets or my, my time with sharp lessons uh, with a bang. 
I love it. I love the uh, going out with the parlay. I think you have to do that. It's a must must hit parlay. Absolutely. Uh, I have two draft best bets. I have Moses Moody under 11 and a half. And I think Nate, you convinced me of that one. I, I, I think that he's just too wanted with a, many of these teams around the league in this draft that he gets picked up before the 12th pick. Um, so I like him under 11 and a half. And I actually was just looking at it throughout the show. It was at minus 140 when we started and it's a minus 150 now. So it yep. seems like that market is already moving for, for Moses Moody under 11 and a half. And then Jalen Suggs for, fourth overall pick Slightly juiced, but I think for how much of a guarantee it almost seems with the Toronto Raptors picking Jalen Suggs at, at four, I, I don't think it's juiced enough at minus 160 the last time I saw it. So, I mean, I'd probably play it up to minus 170, minus 180. If it gets a little higher than that, maybe stay away. It might not be worth it. But with the price that it is, I, I like Jalen Suggs as the uh, the fourth overall pick. And I, I did believe that I saw Jeff Goodman tweet that that is one of his uh, favorite picks as well for the draft is Jalen Suggs at four. Yeah, so I wanted to give out an NBA draft prop, and I'm just looking at my screen. Um, when we started the draft uh, the show, it was Jonathan Kaminga's draft position was six and a half, and I wanted to go over that. Um because I think Book Knight's going to go ahead of him. Book Knight is seven and a half, heavily juiced under. Unfortunately, Kaminga's uh, draft prop is now seven and a half. So maybe that's a guy who even falls farther than we're kind of where we projected. So I guess I would just go with Moses Moody. Uh, maybe instead of going under 11 and a half, you can still get him to go in the top 10 at plus money. Uh, for grading purposes, let's call it 125 on Moses Moody to be a top 10 pick. I know you don't get the safety of 11, but with a lot of mocks having him go eight, I feel good about him being eight or maybe even nine, if uh, depending on where Franz Wagner goes. So just for best bet purposes at an available number, anything plus money, Moses Moody to be the top in the top 10 and tomorrow night's draft. All right, Rizzo, your last show. You're moving on to greener pastures. Do you have any uh, parting wisdom, parting advice, or anything like that? Um, not necessarily parting wisdom or parting advice. <laughs> uh, I do want to say thank you to you both. I've had a great time in our last, I believe, two months of doing the pod. And with both of you, we've worked together for much longer than that. So it, it's been a joy. I've learned a lot from both of you. Um, I know Nate and I, when we first started, just when I first started, which was just a couple of months before Ben, we kind of uh, bonded over gambling when it was still just a little more taboo than it is now. So that was something that, you know, I'd, I'd check in at work, do what I needed to do, and then go over and chat with Nate. So that was always a blast. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. This this podcast is great. Uh, I hope all the viewers appreciate the, the wisdom and insight that you guys give them. And uh, I am going to be a very loyal listener from uh, from here on out. And we'll have to have you on as a guest here and there. Give us the parlays of the day for sure. Always available. <laughs> well, Rizzo, we want to thank you for uh, for being part of the podcast. Uh, we want to thank Jeff Goodman, too, for coming on and, and being a guest as well. Um, and good luck to everyone in the draft and MLB bets and Rizzo's MLB parlay. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Uh-huh.